All right, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to SaberSims DFS Office Hours. It is Wednesday, June 29th of 2022. Thanks for tuning into the stream here today. If this is your first time watching or listening along, this is a live open Q&A style show where I answer questions from the SaberSim community uh, about DFS uh, and how to build better DFS lineups with SaberSim. So if you have any questions you'd ever like me to answer on this show, uh, there's a few ways to get them answered. You can email us at support at sabersim.com. Uh, if you are watching me live here, of course, you can post questions live in the YouTube chat. And whether you're watching live or catch the show as a recording after it goes up on, on YouTube and uh, the podcast outlets, you can always post your questions in the Office Hours channel in our Slack community. Uh, there's a link to join that Slack community in the description of every past show. It's totally free to join. You get access to that Office Hours channel, but also our Sim Alerts channels where you can see uh, when we're running new simulations to take advantage of the uh, or, or, uh to update for updated information, new news, things like that. Um, and also our sports-specific discussion channels where there's a ton of sharp players uh, answering questions, having discussions, talking about things every single day in there. So definitely join that Slack community if you haven't already gotten in there. But uh, we have just a couple questions in the queue here for today. Um, one uh, as a kind of another question about, uh, I think, kind of our DFS profit plan and how to go about filling your entries uh, for different contests, and another one about um, Vegas totals and discrepancies between Sabersim and Vegas. Um, so I'm actually going to go ahead and just get us started there. This came in from Kino here uh, earlier this morning, um, and I think it's a good place for us to start. So let's start there. And we'll get the app pulled up as well. And uh, this question says, sometimes there's a discrepancy between Sabersim and Vegas projection. For example, Sabersim underestimated uh, New York by about a half run. Uh, in this case, are the ownership data still mostly based on Vegas? Um, if so, should we try to exploit this ownership inefficiency uh, or is it already included? This is a good question. So um, our ownership projection. So our player projections are not going to use Vegas as a primary input right? Uh, we don't, our Sims for baseball, at least in particular, uh, don't use, don't use Vegas as a primary input. It's not a, it's, it's not, you know, one of the main drivers in terms of how we actually end up simulating the game, right? So there are going to be discrepancies sometimes between our simulations and Vegas simulation or Vegas's projections, right? Um, one thing to note on that is we do take, we do consider Vegas in that we use it a bit as a backstop um, or we're aware of Vegas projections. So if you do see a discrepancy, like for example, if we're under on New York by a half run compared to Vegas, that projection, that team total projection, I would say is aware of Vegas's, right? So it kind of already has been adjusted potentially based on that. So it's a good thing to note, right? Um, but secondly, our ownership projections, which I think is the core of what this question is really getting at here, um, those are going to take into account an industry aggregate projection when we go to build those ownership projections out. Most projection models in the industry do rely on Vegas uh, as a primary input, I would say. So in effect, the ownership projections do kind of model more of a Vegas-adjusted perspective on the slate. Uh, because when you build lineups with SaberSim 
and your ownership project your ownership fade slider is on right uh and there's some comparison made between our initial simulations and the ownership projections and a determination on if a player is over under owned is made on each player on the slate uh in effect this ownership inefficiency is already exploited right like if we are under on um let's see um excuse me um if we are under on vegas by a half run right well that that they are going to show up as higher owned in the uh ownership projections right and that is going to be kind of naturally exploited when it turns out that they are not like you know you can see here they are clearly the most owned stack right but they are kind of similar at least in terms of average projection or maybe even upside to some of the other best bats on you know uh Houston or Pittsburgh or Washington so so that ownership is going to naturally kind of get exploited on its own so um kind of i guess it feels like a bit of a long-winded answer to basically say that yes this this ownership is already kind of naturally going to be exploited somewhat by the builder because our our sims don't use Vegas as a primary input and our ownership projections theoretically do. Um, that's not to say you can't add any additional value by going a little bit further. If you see a particular situation that you really want to target, right? You really want to exploit. Um, maybe we really disagree. Let's just look at this slate here tonight. Um, why is this column so big? Let's make that a little bit smaller. Um, you know, maybe we really disagree with, I was looking to see if there's anything jumping out. Uh, you know, maybe the quality of the pitcher um, that, I don't know, a guy like Kyle Wright is, right? And, you know, maybe we think, you know, there's a little bit of upside there. His his upside is comparable to some of the other aces on this particular slate. Uh, but Vegas is really pessimistic uh, on him. And I don't know. I mean, let's see. I'm curious what... Um, Go check out that Fantasy Labs dashboard. I'm curious how Vegas is looking at the Phillies here for tonight, even to, oh, not models. Um, let's see. <clears throat> so we want the main slate. Uh, so not not actually a good example there, but, um, you know, the Red Sox are actually a decent example, right? So we're, we're a little bit higher on the Red Sox. So um, Vegas is, I guess, a, a better way of looking at this. Vegas is going to be a little bit more optimistic uh, on Manoa than we are. Right. And that's it's kind of coming through here um, where, uh, you know, showing up as the chalkiest pitcher on the slate. Um, we don't think he's even the best projected pitcher. We don't think he has the highest upside. And we also don't even think he's the best point per dollar pitcher on the slate. Uh, so naturally, I would expect to assume um, or I would expect to see that we're probably going to be maybe a little bit more pessimistic on Manoa naturally when it comes time to build your lineups. So but that if you if you didn't think based on your build that we were as pes pessimistic enough that maybe you wanted to full fade him and really even maybe, you know, leverage directly against that with some Red Sox stacks, you could do that. Um, and I think that would be valid, but anyway, good question. Um, good way to get us started here. Um, and let's jump in. I wanted to jump backwards here and answer this question from KG. Um, and this is, um, the last question I have in my queue. For right now so fire away at me here if you guys have any questions in chat 
And uh, let's touch on this real quick. This one says, I know Saberson says, uh, stresses getting lineups spread out, but I'm wondering how you recommend doing builds to differentiate if you're max entering multiple contests. For example, if I'm max entering three 20 max tournaments with essentially the same total and effective entrance at different price points, uh, how would you recommend breaking that down? Would you build 60 lineups in a 20 max build and just mix and match? Or would you run different builds with different variances? Very open to any and all suggestions. Yeah, so in that situation, I, I mean, if you have, you're basically saying they're all 20 maxes. I mean, they're all relatively close to in, in price points too, right? I mean... I guess there's a difference between the $1 and the 10 cent, especially, but all, all, all pretty close and close to the same number of entrants. I would build them all together, right? And the value you're going to get out of that is you're going to get one build to manage your exposures and projections and make adjustments to, right? You can do that all in one place when that build is complete. Uh, and then you're also going to make sure that you have a totally unique lineup too in every single contest, right? If you build three different builds of 20 lineups each, it's possible that there's going to be a duplicate mixed in there somewhere, right? Because there's no guarantee that, I mean, it's unlikely, but it's, there's no guarantee that in, amongst any two different builds that there's no shared lineups, right? Um, so I would highly recommend just building these all together in one build. Um, and then, you know, filling your entries as well, all in one build there as well, um, which should be pretty easy here. So I'll, I'll show you real quick. So, you know, maybe this is your build. Um, and we can go ahead here and change this to 60. So I probably should have done that ahead of time, right? Maybe this is your 60 lineup build. And now you've got one place to edit your exposures, right? Maybe you, you know, let's go back here and say, right, Manoa. So, I mean, I guess a good example, right? You can see we're under on Manoa, right? And you can kind of, you could, now we understand why, right? This is a, you know, a good way. I get a lot of questions sometimes. People are asking like, why am I under on Manoa? Like explain, explain this result of the build, right? Well, with a little bit of research, we can kind of figure that out. The reason why is that we're almost a half run more bullish on Red Sox bats tonight, right? Uh, but maybe you want to take a full stand there, right? Maybe you just want to uncheck him. And maybe you also want to, uh, you know, bump up some Boston stacks and maybe get a little bit exposure to Boston stacks, right? Well, now you only have to do that in this single build. You don't need to go and chase that down in three different builds. You can manage that all here, which is really, really nice. And then when you're ready to go, fill entries. I don't have an entries file for tonight's slate, uh, unfortunately, here. So, um, But you'd upload your entries file, and you can just fill all from this build. And what you'd want to use is use either the unique rank or the unique random fill method to make sure that you get a unique lineup from this set of 60 into all of your 60 entries across those 320 maxes. So I typically, and so I guess this kind of brings me to the next thing I wanted to touch on here. This, this question was, you know, specifically, Hey, I'm playing three different 20 maxes. They're all this around the same size. Um, they're all 20 maxes. What should I do? I think that that's very, you know, in this particular case, it's very, very easy to say, um, build them all together, right? It does get a little bit harder when you start talking about potentially playing, a lot of different contests, right? What if you're playing, you know, some single entries, right? Uh, down here, right? 500 person single entries, and you're also playing some, you know, huge 150 maxes. Well, then what do you do, right? Does it still worth building them all together uh, in different in different contests, right? It's a tougher, tougher question at that particular point. I still think for me, it does. And I typically prefer to just pick a midpoint level slider where, you know, maybe it's the 20 max, 10 to 50K entrance. Uh, and 
the value I get out of having one build to manage my exposures from, and also knowing that every single lineup in my pool is unique, which based on our contest selection research is a really big deal, is really important. I think that outweighs any potential you know, downside of not having the exact perfect sliders for whatever contest I'm building lineups for. So I prefer to build everything all together. But that said, if you have time and maybe you're not as focused on editing exposures in the post-build phase or something like that, uh, there's nothing wrong with breaking these down and, you know, running a build for your single entry contest first, then running one for your multi-entry stuff. Um, so, but I think best practice in general, I would say, you know, best practice, what I would recommend for most people is combining all of the unique lineups you want to build on a slate and then running one build together. Um, with that said, we are planning on doing a little bit more research on that. Because I know there is, that is kind of a, you know, that's that's a question that I I get often. And I, I say in general, you know, that I think the pros outweigh the cons there. Uh, but we're planning on actually tackling that in a little bit more of a robust research project as a part of our Behind the Sims podcast and work. Um, to actually see, you know, what what do you actually give up when you aren't using the perfectly optimal sliders for a particular contest. So if you're interested in this kind of stuff and, and the answer to that question, uh, stay tuned for, for that episode of, of Behind the Sims. So, but what other questions do we have here? Uh, quiet here in the chat today. Um, not a lot, not a lot going on here. I know HC's here. Welcome. But any other questions here for me? Just about 13 minutes in here on today's stream. Um, so we'll we'll cut it off early if we end up needing to here. I'll give it a couple minutes at least to see if other questions come in. Um, I am working on getting a tennis video out for you guys here before the end of the day today. So stay tuned for that. Uh, if you missed it, we had Sheets and Will on on Monday of this week uh, on this show, talking um, some tennis DFS strategy, how our tennis simulations are put together. I'm planning on putting a video out uh, today that will kind of summarize a lot of those concepts, be a little bit of a shorter video of just, you know, what do you need to know to get up to speed uh, to be successful in tennis DFS? So looking forward to getting that out. Uh, David said, how are the new digs, Jordan? Uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. So uh, I'm actually in now kind of the new, new digs for this particular show, at least. Uh, the, the new house is nice. Um, the the internet connection was was not serving me there. Uh, we had some some significant internet issues on this stream here over the past week. So now we're in a, the new satellite office, the SaberSim satellite office out here. So uh, things hopefully uh, quite a bit better. But um Jen, I think I missed uh, the first or maybe the second part of your question here. So I'll give you a second to um, maybe put um, that back in here. Um, but Chris is excited here for the tennis uh, tennis video. Um, so uh, said more tennis, more advice, any and all help appreciated. Yeah, looking forward to getting that out here today. Uh, Patrick said, how do we attack Live Golf Showdown? Oh, man. That is a good question. Um, I believe we have support for it up already, which is pretty cool. Let's go take a look. I haven't really looked at this. Um, I haven't studied this too much, but let's see if we have a gut check here. Um, ooh, don't have projections up yet. I don't know. I might have misunderstood. I'm not sure if we actually can support this with projections or not. Um, let me see here. 
Um, I'll double check on that. I am not, I'm not sure. Maybe I'm not sure, uh, but we have the slate up. So if you have projections here, at least you can build lineups. This is going to be tough. I don't even know what the strategy is here. Um, I mean, my, my impressions here, just kind of looking at this here is that you have this like top heavy field um, where I think the the names, the more recognizable names at the top here for a single round of golf are likely to be overvalued. Um, not to say that I want to like fade every single one of these guys at the top, right? But I would probably be looking maybe to play, you know, maybe some of the top names that are a little bit if you if you have a sense of ownership, right? That's gonna be the kind of the tricky part. But um, I would I would say, you know, fading some of the top highest owned golfers here at the top um, and taking a few chances on some weirder lineups with some names that maybe just feel a little bit less, I don't know, attractive uh, to the, the the casual player here, I think is going to be the way to go. Um, you know, I don't even play a lot of showdown golf in general. I think it's a pretty tough format, um, at least for me, but I think the biggest edge you can get is, is uh, chasing ownership and efficiencies. And I think in general, I think round one showdowns are really hard. Uh, as a event goes along, you know, ownership almost gets less efficient because people start chasing recent rounds performance way too much. Like, you know, you'll have a guy that in round one showdown was 5% owned, uh, goes and is in the top five after one day, and then he's 35% on the next day, which is probably a little bit overkill. That's a little bit too much. So, um, you know, for round one, I would probably say, you know, looking for any ownership inefficiencies, looking for some low owned, like the lowest owned guy of the elite plays at the top here, I'd probably want to be a little bit heavy on. Uh, and then, you know, maybe trying to build a construction that is a little bit more balanced that features names that people are just a little less likely to click on. Um, so, um, cool. Uh, David said, FanDuel had tennis earlier in the week, but I don't see it now. Do you know what's going on with that? I, I don't think we have FanDuel tennis or you said FanDuel had tennis earlier in the week, but I don't see it now. Uh, I don't. I will say FanDuel does definitely kind of struggle to fill out the more niche sports a little bit more than DraftKings does. It's just a smaller site. Um, it might be that FanDuel can only support Wimbledon for, like, with... FanDuel can only actually fill contests for the first couple days of Wimbledon when the contests are really big. So that would be my guess. Um, so... Cool. Um, and then, okay, let's hear. So here was Jen's other question here. Do you sometimes go the extra mile and adjust individual batter exposure? Uh, and then I assume that's like on a four game slate, like a four gamer. Um, you know, I would say I'm paying attention and generally adjusting my batting exposures on all baseball slates, regardless of size. Um, and I, I've talked a little bit before here, you know, I, I like to look at individual batter exposure. Like I think it's, I think it's helpful. It makes it makes a lot of sense to me. I I will adjust team stack exposure at times too. If like, you know, we were just talking about maybe just wanting to get some Red Sox exposure, right? Good way to do that would be the team stack. But I often when it comes time to like actually manage my my risk here, um a lot of times I do it like on the individual batter level. So I'll typically check and kind of look and see like what is the highest overall owned batter in the field or or in the in the pool, I guess. Um, 
and kind of cap, you know, I might do something like this and just kind of set that as like a big, a cap to my individual batter exposures all at once and go through and do something like this. So you can go like that and drop those individual batter exposures down just like that. Um, and I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, like I think like teams, teams and stacks are descriptive of your lineups, right? Like saying that you have 50% Dodger stacks kind of describes, you know, you, you have this definition of a stack, at least two players from the same team, and it kind of describes your lineups. But I do think ultimately at the, at the end of the day, you are playing lineups that are assembled from players and players score points. Stacks don't, right? You don't get, you don't get points for like the Dodgers or, or, uh, Dodgers five stack going off. You get points for the five Dodgers that you have. So when I want to ultimately make sure that I'm I'm comfortable with the level of risk in my different lineups and things like that, I I do like to look at the individual batter exposures. So, uh, and then Jen said I do that too, mostly to cap the max exposure. But I'd also wonder if you end up bumping up the min percent for certain batters six through nine spots. Um, I don't. I wouldn't say that I specifically go out of my way to target these low owned batters. Um, but you will often see that I think Sabersim does kind of like Sabersim will, will get you some exposure to these guys uh, often because I think the field really undervalues the upside of low owned batters. Like for whatever reason, I, well, actually I don't want to say for whatever reason it's because average projections, right? Average projections will significantly let me just show you right like let's go look at the let's go look at boston okay so if you were building your lineups based on averages right those averages would imply that there is a pretty significant difference what a like 30 plus percent difference between devers and jackie bradley jr based on the averages right? And that that one of these players was, you know, a significantly better play, right? Well, and Devers is probably in, in, or Martinez or Bogarts or any of these guys. Yeah, they probably are a better, like a better play in a vacuum than Jackie Bradley Jr. But when you look at their upside potential, it tells a different story, right? Devers does not have a massively higher ceiling than Jackie Bradley Jr. does at his 95th percentile outcome, for example, right? And Saberson understands that because we get the full ranges of outcomes of these players since you're building with Sims. Uh, but coupled with the ownership fade slider, you will, I would say in general, kind of find that that's one of the ways that Saberson is likely to differentiate you and exploit ownership just in general, right? This is pretty consistent. If you look at kind of these lower batting order guys, you'll see a lot of these guys make up big, big um, leverage, positive leverage plays across your portfolio. So to answer your question, I, I don't think this is something that I like would say I consistently go in here and intentionally try to target or bump up min exposure. Uh, but I typically see something like this on most slates and I'm totally fine with that. In fact, I like it. Um, so, you know, more, I actually, more often this question comes in the opposite direction of people saying, Hey, should I remove seven, eight, nine hole hitters from my pool? And I, I don't think I would, um, I think, I think they can be a really good way to make a chalkier stack a little bit different. Uh, they can just be really overlooked in general. Um, I think it can be great. So, um, 
Patrick asks an interesting question. And Patrick, I'm probably going to have to follow up with you on this because I just haven't familiarized myself. I, I don't know the scoring system well enough at this exact moment to answer this intelligently here. Um, is it better to go heavily on the female side of tennis because of their two game set than the male's three game set? I, yeah, I would have to, I need to check the, the scoring and see, I'm curious like how, how valuable it is to get, I mean, it seems like just based on our percentiles, that there isn't like a trend there and like even pricing. Um, but I'm going to have to follow up on that. Um, Kevin says, Sabersim seems to really spread out exposures in its build. For example, in 150 max, it might have 35 stacks from one team and spread the rest out between five to 15 stacks from a bunch of other teams. Whereas conventional wisdom seems to take those three to four cores and build a lot of uniques around those cores. Is there any benefit to one way or the other? Does the spread support more min caching versus a huge core takedown? I would argue that it is in your favor to diversify more and avoid a cores type strategy uh, in general, especially for like 150 lineups. I think cores in general are not a... That is not an ex- an EV. That is not an expected value based like decision. I think cores really simplify content for DFS, uh, and I think that's more of an industry creation. I think it is easier, you know, if you are creating DFS content to give somebody a short list of five to ten names and say build your lineup around these guys and then fill in the rest or something like that, right? Um, it, it, it makes it easier to kind of break down a slate in that particular way, uh, on a, well, in a, you know, seven game slate, like we have here tonight, there are an enormous number of possible lineups you can make. Um, there are like literally billions of lineups that you can make, and there are probably tens of thousands of positive EV profitable lineups you can make the 150 that you ultimately end up entering into a contest is just a very small fraction of that. And you can maintain your upside, but limit your downside significantly if you're, if you are diversified, right? Um, yes. On one hand, if you have a core and you stack, if you stack the blue Jays in every single lineup and use, um, Otani and Hunter Green in every single lineup and then build 150 lineups around that, then when you are right about that particular outcome, yes, you are going to have 150 shots on goal, but you're going to have a ton of downside risk for that entire 150 lineup portfolio anytime you are wrong about any of that. And even when you are right, you're ultimately going to probably be competing with yourself a lot, right? Like imagine, you know, how many lineups in the pool have that combination and how many of the lineups in the pool are yours that you paid to enter? Right at that point, your first best lineup starts competing significantly with your second best lineup, right? And your or your second best lineup starts competing significantly with your first best lineup, and so on, right? Whereas had you kind of spread out, you would get more opportunities to tack, tackle different slate outcomes, and the you know potential upside of any single lineup was still just as high. So i I think the I think cores thinking about things in kind of like cores and maybe picking a few of your guys is something that I I would recommend if 
if that resonates with you and you want to play DFS that way, which is which is fine, I would focus probably on playing fewer entries, right? Um, and you know, you don't necessarily need as many lineups to tackle that kind of strategy, right? I guess that's a better way of looking at it is like, do you need 150 lineups really to play an angle of the slate where a very specific result takes place? You probably don't. Um, so I don't think it it is supporting more min caching versus a huge core takedown. I would instead describe that as saying what it's promoting is it's promoting having a even results distribution on the slate, right? It's promoting... You know, if you play 150 lineups, having lineups that finish in that 1% outcome, that 2% outcome, that 98th percent outcome, that 99th percent outcome, rather than having all of your lineups really tightly matched all in one place. So um, good question. Uh, but I think there, that's definitely, you know, the more and more lineups you are playing, I think the more and more it is in your best interest to diversify them. And that is part of the reason why that this sim precision slider moves as these entry limits move, right? Um, I clicked on two things at once here, but, you know, as you're talking about a, let's go like this, right? As you're moving from a single entry to a three max, to a 20 max, to a 150 max, right? That is what you, that is kind of part of what you are seeing as the sim precision slider increases, right? This is diversifying you further. So, um, Kyle said, Jordan, sorry if you've answered before. How important is Saber score for MLB lineups? Pre build, I just set stacks and build 1500. My top 20 lineups will have Saber score from 20 to 100. Uh, I, I typically treat Saber score as a tiebreaker, right? Um, so, I think it is a, well, first, I should say we are doing some, we, it is on our list to do some more research into Saber score and actually put some numbers to it. Uh, and see, you know, just how well it it does approximate upside or expected value. Um, but I I think anecdotally at the moment, um, and and based not even just anecdotally, based on some of our initial data, uh, we think it does a pretty good job of it. So I think it's a good tiebreaker here uh, for ultimately deciding what lineups to take with you into your contests. So if you set your stacks, build fifteen hundred, and rock with the top twenty, and don't want to make any other adjustments, that's great. I think Saber Score does a very good job of choosing what 20 out of your 1500 to play. If you come in here and you feel like you're too exposed to one team uh, and one or one stack, or you want to get some additional exposure somewhere else, then great. Do that, add that value in the post-build process. And then from there, let Saber score make kind of the final decision on what lineups you take with you into your contest. Um, so like the, the short answer is it, it is a very good tool for ultimately deciding what, lineups to take with you out of your pool, but it's, I don't, I wouldn't treat it as the end all be all right. Like I would never, if we reset our exposures here, I would never like do something you didn't want to play. I would never play. If you're looking at 83.3% Will Smith and you're like, man, that's a lot of one batter. That feels like a little bit too much for me, but that's what Saber score wants to do. So that's what I'm going to do it. I would, I wouldn't think about it that way. Right. If you see a spot to make a change, make the change. And then let Saber score fill in the gaps. So Kyle says this thought doesn't apply to all sports, correct? I I think it does. Saber score is is you know calculated and useful for for all sports, I think, equally. So I I think it does apply. 
Patrick says, do you get any tickets from micro mini last week? I think I got a couple. Um, I didn't, I, you know, I've been pretty busy um, and I've been having to skip more slates than I'm, I'm uh, accustomed to. So uh, I didn't get to take advantage of the the micro promotions as much as I'd wanted to. Um, but I did, I did go home with a couple tickets. So. Cool. What other questions do we have here? Did I miss any? Oh, I did. Brent said, uh, I notice often that I get the same stack slash team combos in my top few Sabre score lineups with one different player, even at high sim precision sometimes. Uh, do you just try to roll with it or try to avoid? Uh, you know, as somebody that want, that plays like a pretty diversified style, like I, I found that this really does the trick in terms of avoiding those situations if I am up here at like eight, nine, 10 sim precision, and I'm still seeing that one stack is paired with the other stack a lot, uh, I will just roll with it at that particular point. Because really what, what that's saying is that, you know, at, you know, using single simulation projections for every single lineup or, or buckets of three simulations of the thousands of simulations we have, right? It's still kind of when that dice rolls, I guess, it's still coming together that the Dodgers plus the Blue Jays are the best way to stack up in, you know, most of your lineups. And, and I'll roll with it at that point. Sometimes too, there are slate dynamics at play that can can lead to that, right? That maybe because of an ownership thing or because of a pricing thing or because of a positional thing, right? That, you know, you got to remember you, at the end of the day, you, you, you may stack two teams, five, three, but you still need to play, you know, a catcher through outfield. And if, if one team fits into another team really nicely, kind of like a puzzle piece it, positionally and salary wise, that can just happen even at really high sim precision levels. Um, and I'm okay with that most of the time. Um, I, I think the, again, the best way when, the, when people ask me, you know, how do I avoid getting one team paired with the other that much? I, I always say, Best way is increase your sim precision slider. If you've already done that and you're still getting a lot of them like that, um, I I would probably I I would probably just roll with it. Like I I think that's a good sign that maybe there's just a a slate dynamic thing at play there that maybe makes that a good play. So, but and of course, I mean you know one thing you could do there is just bring down your exposure to those teams or stacks or players on their own and just limit your risk that that combination has along with it. So. But. Cool. Any other questions here for me today? Let me, let me make sure I didn't miss anything other, any other ones here. Um, jump back here. But looks like we are pretty caught up. So, all right, perfect. On that note here, I'm going to go ahead actually uh, and call this one a little bit early here today. I really want to make sure I get this how to beat tennis DFS video out for you guys here before the end of the day today. So uh, I'm going to jump off this stream and just keep working away at that to get that out. Um, good luck in both the early slate and the main slate for baseball here tonight. If you're playing those, uh, I will be right back here again tomorrow at 2 PM Eastern for another stream of office hours. Uh, in the meantime, uh, if you stumbled upon this stream here today and haven't already signed up for Sabersim, 
check us out. Sabersim.com, free seven-day trial, no strings attached. Uh, you can check us out for all of our different sports, baseball, tennis, golf, esports. Um, those are, I think, kind of the big, big four going on right now. Uh, now that NHL has officially wrapped up. So uh, you get access to all sports here. We'll, we'll make this kind of our, our fadeaway jump shot here uh, with Jared. If running 150 uh, and you say you have 20% of the Dodgers in the first stack, would you try to be lower on them in stack two? Um, I'm a little bit confused on what you mean actually by first stack versus second stack. Um, maybe you can kind of let me know there a little bit more. If you're referring to the, the, what I'm kind of, I'll let you respond, but what I'm kind of, what it sounds like maybe is you're saying, if you have like, you know, 60% of Dodgers as like a large stack, do you want to be lower on them comparatively in the smaller stacks? Gotcha. Yeah. So it is kind of like that. So like, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, so in some ways, like this kind of happens naturally, right? Because like if I have, if 61% of my lineups have a Dodgers five stack in it, those lineups can't have a Dodgers two stack in it also. So you're, you are naturally, like some of this is going to happen naturally just because of the way that lineup construction works out. Um, I don't, I don't really think about this too much. Like, again, I'm. I'm kind of more thinking about, you know, how much exposure am I comfortable to Dodgers overall, right? And maybe that number is like max 35% to any hitter. And then when I do that, I will then from there just kind of like let the constructions, I will let Saberson kind of figure out the constructions for me, right? If Saberson says, oh, okay, well then the best way to do that is to play mostly five stacks and then sprinkle in some, uh, you know, three stacks or two stacks alongside that, I'll, I'll let that be. I... I don't often like care too much about how I'm stacking a team up mostly again, like just because the, the correlation sliders and, and the ownership fade sliders, right. Like are, are, are taking that into account, right. How, how well correlated are the different hitters to the the team? How one-off viable, how small stack viable are, are is a team is, is kind of automatically taken into account. I mean, I do think I will say one thing, I think there is an argument to be made that if there is a super chalky team on the slate, like the Dodgers, and you are going to play Dodgers bats, that in general, the best way to play them is in the largest stack possible. Um, and I mean, the reason why here would basically be that there, you are shooting for a, a somewhat narrow range of outcomes by playing a a two stack or a three stack, right? Like you are, you're somewhat playing with fire. Let's say you two stack the Dodgers and you play like Justin Turner or this, this lineup, right? Will Smith, Justin Turner and Chris Taylor, right? We are, we are shooting for basically a situation where these three, not to say this is a bad lineup, right? This is, this is a great lineup, but we are shooting for a situation where we're, we're, we want these three exact players from by far the chalkiest team on the slate to succeed and have the rest of the players in that order fail or not be the best play, even given the fact that they probably got additional plate appearances because of the success of Will Smith and Justin Turner and Chris Taylor, right? Like there are, there are going to be so many lineups that have both of these three guys in it and also two other Dodgers bats because of how chalky they are that it, 
this this lineup then kind of shoots for a narrow range of outcomes. You're not you're not shooting for the Dodgers to bust like you would be if you played no Dodgers, but you're also not shooting for them to crush like you would be if you're playing for five. And because on a chalky team in particular, there's going to be so many other lineups that that just take the chance on the five stack. That is something that I've kind of just that's that's like an anecdotal thing that I think can be somewhat of a useful tool that like if you're talking about a very chalky team in general, I think I think it makes some sense to to focus on playing them. I think I think it makes some sense for like your stacks of that team to be large, big, full stacks. Um, not to say, you know, in 150 lineups, does it make sense that a hundred percent of your Dodger stacks are five stacks and you don't use them any other way as one-offs or anything like that? Not necessarily, but I think it's you know somewhat of a small consideration there. But above and beyond that, I don't it's not something I really ever think about. Um I I I'm not so concerned there with that. But good question. Okay, question from Ed here. Um and let's see. Let me copy this over. And uh, he said, okay, I typically play a bunch of 20 max. Let's say I play the $4, the $1, the 25 cent, and a couple of 10 cent. I have a hard time just entering a single entry. I want my best lineups in the $4 and the $1. Any comments on this? Um, Yeah, I would use the unique rank fill method. So, and that will basically solve that problem. So I don't have an entries file from, uh, I don't have an entries file for today, but I had one for yesterday. So let's say that we have this build. And we have 199 entries. And give this a second to load here. There's a big, big slate yesterday, 15 gamers. So it takes a second to jump back over and load lineups and load the player data from, from yesterday. So give this just a second. Before we, uh, the unique rank fill method is still somewhat new. Before we had created that, this was a much harder, harder thing to do. Uh, but now that we have that, this is a pretty easy one. So update this to 199 lineups. Uh, let's do reset our exposures. I don't know what this build is. This is just some random build we had from yesterday. Um, so All right, what's going on here? Um, let's see, maybe I can just go back to, I know I had a 199 lineup build from yesterday that we did on stream. Maybe I'll just start with a new one so I can just show you this real quick. Kind of a, kind of annoying here. Give me just a second here to get this loaded and then I'll show you how this works. But what the unique rank fill method does, what I'm going to show you here is it fills a unique lineup into every entry. So you know that a unique lineup goes in. Okay, here's 199 lineups. So we can go in now and fill and the unique rank will fill a unique lineup into every single contest but do it in the order of how they're ranked over here into each contest right so basically like the chin music would get our best overall lineup then the hot corner would get the two third two three and four lineups and the pickoff gets the the fifth lineup um so i think that's the easiest way to do that and then you click fill you get unique rank, you get a unique lineup into every entry. And basically you're, you know, the quarter jukebox is just getting my last 20 lineups, right? 
And I think that can be one thing that can be kind of comforting here is like, then if you bank the quarter jukebox and you're like, wow, why wasn't that lineup in everything, anything else? Like, why wasn't that in my, my best contest? Right. Well, now, you know, it couldn't have possibly have been in that best contest. The only way you would have gotten that lineup in that contest at all was by filling it. Like the, the only way that that contest, that lineup would have even gotten played is by getting played into the quarter jukebox. So that's how I'd recommend doing that. Jen says a parallel thing would be not to care too much about five stacks for lower owned teams. For example, Oakland today or any day when they have the lowest run and under total, which makes me want to have a bit of leverage on them by just a tad bit. And in this case, I might not need to worry too much about five stacks and just the overall stacks. Um, I think at that point, like it, I, I don't think it, it matters so much on the low owned side, just because like Oakland's upside condition is still like that the upside condition of Oakland going off is still there and you can still build lineups that exploit that. Like I think Oakland, I think lower owned stacks are or lower owned players or lower owned teams are kind of functional at like across the across the board of how you could diff, a stack of all the different ways you could stack them, right? Like the one-offs are viable, the small stacks are viable, the large stacks are viable, right? With you when you have super chalky teams in particular it just feels like small stacks and one-offs. And I could be wrong about this too. This is kind of like something that I think just intuitively makes some sense to me. Um, but you are shooting for a narrow range of outcomes there because you're shooting for a narrow range of outcomes that's also dangerous because you know there are a ton of lineups that are shooting for a much bigger outcome, right? Like when you small stack the Dodgers, you you're not necessarily fading them. You are you are rooting for a very thin margin of, of outcome. That's not fully fading and not a full five stack on a team where there are going to be a ton of five stacks. Right. So it's not as if, you know, like if, if you play just two Oakland batters, right. Even if Oakland goes off, that lineup may still be, productive just because you got any exposure to Oakland bats and there's not thousands of other Oakland five stack lineups in your same contest waiting in the wings to take advantage of that like complete upside situation. Does that make sense? In the case of a really chalky team, there are those lineups exist and they're there. So that's actually, I think a better way of looking at it there is from a EV standpoint in Oakland three stack. If Oakland is the least played team on the entire slate is not necessarily dependent on a thin outcome occurring because that lineup could still be profitable even if Oakland scores 12 runs, right? Because there just might not be enough Oakland five stacks in the pool to take advantage of all of the other points there. With the Dodgers, uh, if they're 40% owned, you almost certainly have have to have a very narrow outcome take place for a two stack or a three stack to be successful because if they score 12 runs, then it's almost certainly going to be that you needed a five stack, right? And you're basically at that point kind of hoping that they put up like what five runs and the exact three guys you pick all hit home runs. Does that make sense? That's kind of the, the idea there is so is like, what, what are you, what is the ownership and the stack construction that you're playing and the other lineups in the contest imply about what you need for that lineup to be successful. So but good question. And I hope I've kind of made that, I don't know, 
somewhat clear, I guess. Um, I think it's, I think it's interesting. And I think maybe this would be something that'd be interesting for us to do some research on as well, just cause I, again, this is something that intuitively makes a lot of sense to me, but I, I want, I, when I'm thinking about it, I'm, I wonder how provable it is or, or how like, it, you know, if we could sim this, how accurate this would actually be, but yeah, good question. And now I'm, I'm kind of continue to think about this. And if there's still follow-up there, like if I've confused any anybody there, Jen says it makes a lot of sense. Thanks, Jordan. Yeah, it, good. I'm glad. I I think it took me a second kind of talking through that to get around to the, the point that I was actually trying to make there. Um, but so, all right, cool. All right. I'm going to go ahead and leave it there for today. Thank you again to everybody that tuned in. I, uh, I know we kind of did uh, our wrap up just a second ago. We got some more questions in, got us here uh, to about 50 minutes, which is great. Got almost a full show in here today. Uh, I am going to jump off. I'm going to go knock out that tennis video for you guys. I really want to get that out this afternoon to everybody. Uh, I will be right back again tomorrow, 2 p.m. Eastern. So if you have questions for me, fire away in Slack uh, or in our email inbox. Um, and we'll be right back for another stream tomorrow. So good luck today. And see you guys then. Take care.